Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Today's story is about a turnaround in progress. Mike Brown has acquired a struggling e-commerce business. It did $8 million last year during COVID, so it's a sizable operation. But the previous owners overreached and found the business imploding under debt. Mike stepped up and bought it a few months ago. He's in the thick of it right now. And in my conversation with him, he's super transparent about the whole thing. His numbers, his scrappiness, his sense of panic at times. It is a very real struggle. Another thing to call out, I love how Mike talks about his path to acquisition entrepreneurship, to acquiring a business. He talks about being acquisition curious, (laughs) which probably many of you are, and it's why you're listening to this podcast. All in all, a fascinating conversation with Mike Brown. Here he is. Mike Brown, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. You have recently acquired an e-commerce business called Brute Force. It is uh, a seller of sandbags, essentially heavy canvas bags filled with sand for intense working out. <laughs> That's it. This is, a, uh, this is a distressed acquisition. So this isn't, this isn't some big success story we're going to talk about. You are in the trenches as we speak. Um, you've only owned the business for a few months, and uh, you're going to tell us about how it's going. So I think people are really going to benefit from this because, um, you know, we get sick of the success stories. We want to hear people who are actually in the mud right now. <laughs> well, uh, that is me. So uh, if that's if that's what uh, your listeners are hoping for, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to provide. Awesome. Well, before we get into to brute force, why don't you give us three minutes on your professional history leading up to this acquisition? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I started, uh, flying jets for the Navy. Um, it was, was my original career, uh, a great way to spend your twenties, but, uh, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I got out of the Navy in 2011 and, uh, moved back to my hometown, uh, Midland, Texas, uh, which is no place you want to be except for if, uh, you want to be in the oil business. And I, and I got an opportunity from a mentor of mine growing up uh, to work for his company. Uh, and he told me it was the best time in the history of the oil business to be in the oil business. And, uh, I, I went to work for him for a couple of years and then, uh, started my own company in 2013. And, uh, fortunately he was, he was right. It was the best time in the history of the oil business to be in the oil business. And, uh, Started my company, Palmaris Energy, with a with a buddy I flew with from the Navy, Jake and Salvi, and uh, we had a we had a great run for for uh, a few years, and and kind of as Jay likes to say, a rising tide lifts all boats. It was a it was a, a really uh, exciting time in the Permian Basin, and then uh, sold that company in 2019, and uh, kind of went through a what what does it all mean? What what do I want to be when I grow up? type thing, mm-hmm. I think, as, as many uh, post-exit entrepreneurs have experienced. Mm-hmm. And uh, started uh, coaching other entrepreneurs full-time. I'd also been angel investing since 2014. And uh, I, I, am, I, I know it's a competitive title, but I, I believe I hold the title for world's worst angel investor and <laughs> got really uh, 
wanted to kind of hone my skills and, and uh, get better at due diligence and, and better at deal selection and uh, took a course uh, from Walker Dival called, called Buy Then Build and got really curious about acquisition entrepreneurship uh, kind of during that, that window. So you used that course. You, you didn't know much about acquisition. You knew Walker personally, or I guess you you know you know him now, um, and you, you just dip your toe in the water by doing that course. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, again, kind of during my "what does it all mean" thing, uh, there, there was a few things that I that I kind of thought about. One. I didn't want to start from scratch again, or at least I didn't want to build the whole thing by myself uh, because uh, because building a company is really difficult. And I, I think that uh, probably the hardest thing in the world is, is finding a, a real product market fit. I mean, I, I think um, that that's you know probably the 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 toughest part about starting. And then you know just just I think it it doesn't matter. Well, people I think go one of two routes either. If they're post-exit like I was, they spend all their money on things that they don't need to spend it on trying to launch something that they ultimately don't know will be successful. So, so the risk profile is incredibly high. Or they jump back into the grind of bootstrapping and doing everything themselves. And mm-hmm. um, you know that's also something that I didn't really want at that time. So I, I didn't want to go the route of starting something new. Uh, and, and I also had really exhausted myself trying to think what that is. You know, One of the things that happens when you exit a successful business is everyone comes to you and goes, what's next? And yeah. I'm like, what's, what's next? Oh shit. Like I just, I just knocked <laughs> it out of the park and now I got to think of something else that's going to be bigger and better. And, uh, it, you know, it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, cause, cause my first reflex is to say, I'm surprised you didn't want to go. I mean, you had your, your first time out of the gate, you had what by all accounts was a really big success. So, but it sounds like you, you kind of came out of that a little bit more, um, not risk averse, but like, like less confident that you could do it again. Whereas I would have guessed you'd be like more confident. Hey, I did it once. I'll do it bigger the second time around. Totally. And, and I think that, you know, there, there is a tendency for some people to kind of think they have that Midas touch and uh, that, you know, they, they think they're smarter than they really are. And, and look, let me, let me tell you something about, you know, running a successful business. Um, the biggest factor was luck and timing. You know, it's, it's by virtue of where I grew up. Uh, I, I, ha- I happened to have this mentor that was in the business. Mm-hmm. Our, our timing was impeccable. Entering the oil and gas business in 2011 was, you know, an incredible opportunity. And then thirdly, I, I made good decisions with that massive opportunity in front of me. Sure. Right. So, so I have to credit luck and timing way in front of anything I did myself. And it, not to sell myself short, you know, there's a lot of other people that had that, that luck and timing that didn't make right. what I made out of it. So it's, it's not like uh, I'm, I'm just completely throwing it all to the wind and, and, and am down on myself. But you know, I think you have to take those things into account and be realistic and, and realize like, hey, there's a, there's a big factor uh, here that, I, that is out of my control. And uh, and you know, I, I spent even, even before my exit, I, I started thinking about what was next. And I, and I started really thinking about, uh, what, you know, what kind of things I wanted to do and, and, and went down a lot of rabbit holes, kind of thinking about starting a company and talked myself out of it every time, you know, just was, was able to poke those holes because I think one, uh, I had the, you know, I, I knew how hard it is. Yeah. Right. I, I think a lot of times first time entrepreneurs, 
just push through anything because uh, they have this like unbridled enthusiasm thinking yeah. that they're going to be successful. And that's really great. And I think once you're kind of older and wiser and more experienced, you're like, no, this probably isn't worth pushing through. This is like, maybe this is just a bad idea. And so all these rabbit holes that you went down, were they, were they novel ideas, creations of yours? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, at first it was, it was starting individual companies. Then, um, I went way down the rabbit hole of raising a fund and, and going, uh, kind of the startup studio route mm-hmm. and then even more kind of into a private equity route. And, and I think it's important to say that, that I really consider myself an investor first and foremost before an entrepreneur. Um, okay. you know, my first company was an investment firm essentially. And I was CEO, but I was really chief investment officer. You know, I was, I was the one putting the deals in spreadsheets, looking at the risk analysis and, and making the ultimate call on, on, you know, what we were going to buy and, and how we were going to sell it and, and, and structuring our portfolio. So I kind of took that approach to business is I would look everything as kind of a risk reward profile. And I, I would look how to yield asymmetric returns basically. Mm-hmm. And, and starting a company is, is a really tough way to yield asymmetric returns by asymmetric. I mean, downside protected with really high upside potential. Mm -hmm. I think starting a company is a 50-50 upside versus downside, right? I Mm -hmm. think that there's there's a really great chance you're going to lose all your money. And, uh, you know, that wasn't something I was interested in. Okay. Okay. So you considered doing your own things. You considered startup studio. You considered kind of doing your own private equity fund. And you arrived at? (laughs) I arrived at coaching. Um, So I, I... uh, because of my angel investing experience, I was already mentoring a bunch of companies and I, I really enjoyed that side of it and had kind of gone through my own personal development, you know, uh, uh, process. And so, you know, started coaching as a, as, as kind of a full-time gig, um, you know, other founders looking to grow from seven to eight figures and, and was really loving it. Um, but during that, during that time, I was really acquisition curious. You know, I'd, I'd gone through Walker's course, which I found tremendously valuable. And Acquisition uh, curious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you, so, uh, so you, you became interested in acquiring a single company. So versus yeah. the, a private equity model where you're maybe acquiring a handful of companies and looking to probably flip them or improve them and sell them in three, five, seven, nine years. You became interested in acquiring a company and to be then its operator? Yeah. And, and the reason for that is, um, you know, I had, I had built this portfolio of, of angel and private equity investments um, and, and just found myself kind of perpetually frustrated that, that I wasn't in the driver's seat. You know, I, I, I spent a bunch of money um, on, on investments that I didn't control. And I had, I had made my money by betting on myself. You know, Jay and I always used to like to say that we, we would always buy call options on ourselves right? If, 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 if we can control the outcome, that's an investment I want to make. And I kind of got away from that mentality and, and ultimately, you know, um, uh, the jury's out on a lot of those companies, but, but lost a lot of money, uh, in that process. Mm-hmm. And so decided that like, Hey, I'm going to double down on myself again. And, you know, I, I at that point was, uh, yeah, just kind of really missing that, that CEO chair and, uh, and, you know, got, got kind of excited about what it would be like to run a company again. Okay. Even though running a company, I mean, you said you consider yourself first and foremost, an investor. If you acquired an e-commerce company, for example, you, you know, the, the, what you'd be doing day to day would not be as kind of investment minded as your earlier 
business. It would be operational. Um, and so it would be a, it would be a slightly different skill set. but you felt good about that. Yeah. So, uh, in my coaching, one of the things I actually really worked with, uh, founders or, or, or CEOs on is developing that uh, investor mindset and, and actually bringing that as the CEO. Uh, so, you know, my first step, uh, and, and we're fast forwarding now, but my first step is to hire a good operator because that's not actually my my favorite skill set, you know, interacting with employees and and day to day and 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 kind of setting up operational tempo. That's not my favorite thing. What I like to do is is be in the seat, thinking about what ideas are going to yield those asymmetric returns a year from now, and how can we start executing on those? Uh, you know, what's going to grow this company four or five x? Uh, you know, even ten x. You know, and that's where I should be concentrating my time mm-hmm. as the CEO. My job is to buy my employees enough time to execute that vision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's, um, so when you say you put an operator in, you would be CEO, you'd be setting strategic vision, um, but the operator would be healing, handling the day-to-day. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and so you like acquisition or you were acquisition curious because it allow, it scratched your entrepreneurial itch. You're betting on yourself. You're the one, you know, your destiny is your own. Um, but you're still being an entrepreneur, except it's with something that you haven't created. So the product market fit is already there. It's already market proven. Uh, and your job is to grow it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the, the last piece that we haven't touched on yet is the amount of leverage that's available uh, for acquisition. You know, I can take a very small piece of my net worth and either go out and get an SBA loan or you know, raise some money from uh, my network to kind of spread the risk a little bit, but you know, end up having a a significant controlling stake in a company without you know putting a huge amount of my own capital on the line. Which you know, at this point in my career, after having a success, capital preservation is more important than accumulation. And so, when you were looking at company, or when you were considering companies um, and looking at deals, you like what kind of size companies were you looking at? Or enterprise value? Yeah, so uh, really uh, two to five million, uh, I think, is kind of the sweet spot uh, for a few reasons. One, uh, I, I think that you know anything smaller uh, may may be too niche to scale, or or maybe they haven't figured out what you know what scale looks like yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so I think there's particular growing pains as you kind of hit that one to two million dollar mark that that uh, I kind of did not want to tackle again. That's, that's too startup-y. Mm-hmm. And then above 5 million, uh, you start competing with the big boys, right? And, and multiples get higher and uh, competition gets higher. And uh, so I felt like for me and my size, that two to 5 million was really kind of a sweet spot uh, for an acquisition based on, you know, kind of, uh, you know, past the one to 2 million hurdles, but not big enough to start attracting like real private equity. Uh, it's just too small for a, for a, a PE shop. You know, right. That point. Right. And when we say two to 5 million, we mean enterprise value, not, not SDE or EBITDA. No. Yeah. Acquisition price, like total acquisition price. Right. Right. So if you were uh, going to acquire a company like that, were you anticipating putting 10 or 20% down? What, what was the lever? Like what, what, what did your leverage profile look like? Yeah. My, my, I mean, the way I was thinking about it was to go the SBA route and put 10% down and, you know, be able to finance that over 10 years uh, mm-hmm. and, and have cash flow from day one, right? Yep. So that was really my, that was really the goal. That is not what ultimately happened based on the distressed nature of the company that I ultimately uh, acquired. But, 
uh, that was what I was thinking was, you know, hey, I can I can take a really relatively small percentage of my net worth, put it on here, lever up the SBA and and, you know, just start, uh, you know, and, and if you're growing successfully, you can really outpace that SBA debt pretty quickly. So you uh, were a business coach. That was kind of what you were doing as you were considering also like what your your next move would entrepreneurial move would be. Yeah. Um, so t- tell us how you you learned about brute force. Yeah. So uh, the the previous owners came on as clients in December of 2020, and uh, you know quickly it became apparent that uh, they were in a pretty tough situation that required more attention than my hour a week was going to uh, be able to give them. So so uh, you know brute force, as you said, makes fitness equipment, uh, home gym equipment. And that was a great place to be in 2020, uh, you know, based on lockdowns, quarantines, everybody and their, and their brother was searching for uh, kettlebells and, and barbells and sandbags are actually a really amazing uh, piece of equipment because it kind of does it all. It's one piece of equipment that, that replaces kettlebells, barbells, uh, dumbbells, and, and you can do a whole bunch of movements with it. it makes a ton of sense for limited space, garage gyms, and so, you know, just had a tremendous uh, uh, growth, you know, through COVID mm-hmm. and presented a, a unique set of challenges uh, for the previous owners. You know, they, they uh, I mean, any company that grows from three to eight million, uh, basically triples overnight is going to face a ton of challenges. And in the midst of a pandemic with supply chain issues, and, uh, you know, they had a, 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 they fought off a lawsuit from a, from a previous owner. I mean, they just had a ton of challenges that put them in a very precarious situation kind of post-holiday 2020. And, and that's where I stepped in. So they, they did $3 million in sales in 2019. Then they saw this tremendous COVID bump. Uh, so 2020 looked like it was, it was around $8 million. Yeah. So as you said, more than tripling. And then, so now, now we're in January, 2021, about six months ago. Um, and there have a lawsuit situation going on. They have debt and the business is completely distressed. Yeah. Even, even though, or perhaps because of, they had this explosive growth during COVID. Totally. I mean, uh, you know, a few things happened and, and, you know, th- th- there was always, and I, and I think uh, it's really tough in e-commerce, right? I mean, e-commerce is a tough business. You, you've, you've got to have a profitable customer acquisition funnel and, and your cogs have got to be low enough where you can go out, you know, whether it's via Facebook or, or one of these other avenues and acquire customers profitably. And, and I think most e-commerce companies are always kind of living on this edge of, of customer acquisition versus cogs. And, and they had been on a cycle of, of borrowing and uh, basically robber, robbing Peter to pay Paul and, and taking on more and more debt as they grew. And, and that had actually started prior to COVID. So, so this was not a new situation for them. It was just a higher stake situation. Yep. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they failed to anticipate the slowdown post-COVID, right? They, they kind of... Uh, with their with their manufacturer and 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 marketer and some other vendors, they kind of just just went full speed ahead and uh, were producing at the same rate that they were at the peak of the holiday season. And all of a sudden, you know, revenue started dropping and they got flipped upside down pretty fast. So they were already in debt, and then that that just kind of sunk them. And that's right when I stepped in and 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 basically came to them and said, "Hey guys, this is either uh, you know a bankruptcy." 
or I will make an offer and buy this company basically for the debt. Um, and, and so that's what I did. And why did you think that you were positioned to save the company or jury's still out, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. why did, why did you take this bet on yourself? Yeah. I mean, uh, a few reasons. So, so one, um, a, I, I love the product, uh, personally. And, and I think that was, you know, I, I uh, ha- during my military time, I was super into CrossFit and, uh, this brand really has a CrossFit military police fire feel. Mm-hmm. So, so I really fell in love with, with, and, 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 and by the way, you know, one thing that the, that the previous owners did right was they built a, a loyal raving fan base of, mm-hmm. of, you know, fitness, functional fitness, CrossFit, police, military, fire audience. So they built that audience that mm-hmm. loved the product. So, so that was the first thing that I was like, okay, you know, check. That's, that's something that I like here. And for yeah. me, that kind of felt like coming home to my people. Like I know that audience. I know those, I know that, that person. And, yeah. and I, I, you, you are I, that person. I am that person. Right. And that's, that felt really good. Um, and and, you know, I, I thought that was, that was probably kind of a rare find to find a company that kind of resonated with me personally so much. Yeah. And then, you know, as, as, as far as uh, what needed to happen in order to save the company uh, was kind of that investor mindset, right? And that's, that's kind of what I talked about is, is I, I view myself as more an investor than an entrepreneur. What this company needed wasn't like a brilliant product guy or, or a great marketer what this company needed was, was somebody who was very financially disciplined to come in and cut costs and flip the balance sheet and, and manage cash flows and fight off lawsuits and creditors. And, you know, that is a skill set that, you know, I hadn't done all of those things before, but I, but I know how to be disciplined with financials. And so, so it, it, that kind of felt like a unique fit. So even though I hadn't run an e-commerce company before, mm-hmm. I was, I was comfortable building a 13 week cash flow and, and ruthlessly managing, you know, expenses and, and, you know, ultimately we came in and, and, uh, I, uh, looked at, you know, everything that needed to happen and and we had to make a lot of cuts and it was painful. I think one of the cool things though, is that I think that's really, really tough for a founder to do, right? This is, this is their baby. It's been working really, really well until it wasn't. And I think that that second set of eyes, that, that dispassionate position that I get to come in, I didn't build this thing, yeah. right? So I'm not married to any of these concepts or ideas or, you know, unfortunately people that have been here. And so, so I can look at it with a clean slate and just go, here's what needs to happen yep. in order for this thing to work. You know, one of the, one of the kind of detractor points of, against buying a business is that people will say, well, well, if there's all this opportunity in a business that's for sale, why didn't the existing owner do it? Like if it were so easy or if there was all this low-hanging fruit, why didn't the existing owner do it? Uh, and you just answered that. Sometimes they're just too close to the business. They have too much emotional investment in whatever it is, the product, the processes, the whatever, that they just can't. Um, and I understand that. And an outsider can. And so sometimes it's a, it's a what you bring... It's not that the the things to do are that difficult. It's that the psychological, the mindset has to be different to actually execute those those improvements. Totally. And and in this case, the other thing I really liked about it was, you know, uh, uh, the website was 
in sore need of an update. It was a very outdated uh, Shopify theme. So, you know, uh, they had a, a really great email list that hadn't been effectively marketed to. Uh, you know, they had a big social media presence that that definitely could use some optimization. So there was, and, and their, their Facebook ads. So the other thing is, my fiance happens to own a digital marketing agency. So uh, I kind of had an ace up my sleeve. Yeah. So even though I didn't have the skill set necessarily for e-commerce, I happen to know somebody that does and, and, uh, and share a bed with that person. So, uh, <laughs> you know, having, having her expert eyes look at everything and go, hey, there's a lot of opportunity for optimization here. Uh, and I was blissfully naive. I thought that if I just came in and fixed the website, you know, spun up the email marketing and, and put some shiny new Facebook ads out there, we'd, we'd start going to the moon. And uh, turns out it's a hell of a lot harder than that. Is it because I, because for the listeners, like, I think a lot of people do think it's, you know, there's this pretty obvious playbook. Do they have an email list they're not marketing to? Boom. There's value. Is their website out of date? Boom. There's value. Does their Facebook marketing suck? Boom. So you just, those three things that, that doesn't turn it around by itself to, to educate us a little bit more on like, on like, why not? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, look, theory still says that it should have. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I came in in February as interim CEO, and and we actually had really stable cash flows. February, March, April, May, uh, all you know, just right kind of where I expected, and that gave me the confidence to close on the business and go, hey, this is my baseline. This is exactly where uh, I, I think we can grow from, and this is basically, and basically we were at break even based on, based on all my projections, cash, cash flows, expenses. It was like, okay, we're going to start from break even, and then we're going to implement all of these things. And we should start to see that growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then in June, almost literally on the day that I closed, uh, Facebook, which was our primary acquisition channel implemented iOS 14.5, which for the non e-commerce people out there is why you have to now go and opt in to tracking. Mm -hmm. And and it's this war between Apple and Facebook, and and really the casualty of that war is small business because uh, that is the backbone of really who advertises on Facebook. And uh, what people don't really realize about this war on privacy, or you know, you know, Apple's saying, "Hey, we're we're going to take care of you. You're, we're going to we're going to you know kick it, kick these privacy invaders to the to the curb." Yep. It's not really your privacy. It's actually just your preferences. And, and uh, you know, I think what we're finding is uh, if you go back to the early 2000s, we, we, you know, when you're browsing the internet, you get blasted with Viagra ads because all the internet right. knows is that you're an IP address. What, what's really nice about this specific targeting is you get advertised stuff that you're interested in. Like yep. I get CrossFit equipment and mountain bikes and snowboards and like all the stuff that I really like. And I actually think those ads are really cool. Um, and, and basically Facebook is removing that opportunity. It's not like they're, they're following you around, like looking at your own preferences. They're basically just putting you in a big algorithm and going, Hey, this person who behaves like this is more likely to buy this product. Let's show them stuff they like. Right. So, so because I'm a marketer or I have a marketer's perspective, like I actually view it as a positive, but when a big scary pop-up comes on your phone and goes, Hey, do you want Facebook to track you? You're going to be like, no, I don't want that. And, right. uh, and so it really started muddying the algorithm and, and, and across the industry, across any kind of direct consumer e-commerce company, we saw Facebook ads start to tank. So uh, our June revenue was 40% of our May revenue and wow. went from break even to upside down again really quickly. 
And I, I mean, it was, it was a, it was panic mode. Uh, is I mean, is this was, what everybody in e-commerce is seeing now? If, if, if they're relying on Facebook ads? Yeah. I mean, if, it, a 60% haircut. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just depends, you know, on, on how yeah. reliant they are and what their other channels and, and, yep. you know, every, every company's got a different mix of, of where they go and acquire customers. But if Facebook is your primary acquisition channel, there's a good chance you're hurting right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, it was, it was, it was really a full panic mode. I mean, I, you know, I was like, Oh my God, did I just go out, raise money from some of my best friends, co put myself on the hook with the bank and close on this company. And now it's going to tank. Uh, I mean, it was, there was some really sleepless nights there, but you know, good news. We've, we, what that really made us do was mm -hmm. get even leaner and scrappier. And, uh, I, I worked and, and especially, uh, my fiance worked a lot of 14 and 16 hour days trying to figure it out. And, and we stabilized revenue and, and started, started back toward the path to recovery in, in July and, and things are looking okay now. But, you know, I, I don't know uh, how many listeners are familiar with Jocko Willink, but it was almost like kind of his good speech. Like, uh, well, I, I know who he is, but don't tell me what the good yeah, speech is. So, so basically what he says is, hey, if you're experiencing adver adversity, good. That gives you an oh. opportunity to go out and, and you know, push yourself and, and get better. And, you know, so just for example, uh, we knew the website needed to be updated. Well, I got a few bids. The person I was going to go with was going to be between 50 and 80 K to rebuild it and take three to six months. And when revenue started tanking, we were like, Oh shit, like, what are we going to do? We need this. We need a better website right now. So Claire and I got her all for a weekend and spent 36 hours rebuilding a website and launched it on a Sunday night for free. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you, you dropped out uh, just for a microsecond there, you, you pounded Adderall all weekend and, and did the website redesign yourself. Totally. Awesome. <laughs> right? and, and, and it's not something that we ever would have done. You know, I would have never trusted yeah. myself to do that if I had the money in the bank to go out and acquire an expensive agency to, to redo it. Right. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and, and there's a whole bunch of things like that, you know, SEO, I mean, there's a bunch of SEO agencies out there and, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but they have a bunch of really expensive and complicated processes and they can tell you what keywords to write blogs on and how, you know, and do it all for you. And, you know, they're going to charge you 20 grand. Well, I didn't have 20 grand, right. And I needed, I needed things to start happening now. So Claire educated herself on HRFs and got really smart on SEO and handed me a list of keyword rich blog titles and said, go write these. Right? So, <laughs> So now as a CEO, I'm spending a Saturday writing a blog article, but you know, these are the kind of things that a scrappy startup would have to do. And, yeah. and we just had to get really lean and scrappy again. And it was actually a really great exercise for us because, yeah. uh, I saved myself a whole bunch of money. Um, and I could outsource all those things and I'm sure those, those experts would all do a great job, but if you've got to save a company and, and, and if you don't have the, the cash flow to go do it, like, Sometimes it's worth learning it and going to do it yourself. Well, also, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And, and it's a lot of the expenses that you just cited would have been ongoing expenses. So you didn't, they're not just one-time savings, they're ongoing savings that drop to the bottom line from here on out. Yeah, so absolutely. that's a huge, yeah, huge savings over time. Um, that's really, that's really cool. And so, but just because you're experiencing this, this um, tumultuous moment with the Facebook and e-commerce, e e 
what are what are people doing? I mean, is everybody across e-commerce again, if they rely on Facebook and Instagram ads, just totally scrambling and and pounding Adderall and writing blog posts themselves? I mean, what is this going to transform the industry, or is this just a really rough quarter and then everyone will figure it out? Man, I I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, uh, I think one of the unfortunate. Uh, side effects is those that already have a lead are going to, I mean, you know, people with money make the rules, right? So, so the bigger your e-commerce direct consumer company is a, the longer you can afford to deficit spend while your comp, while your competitors are going out of business. Yep. Um, and, and B, the bigger you are, hopefully, you know, the more returning customers and organic channels that you've built over time that actually helps you. So you're not so reliant on, uh, Facebook as a, as an acquisition channel. So, yeah. you know, the smaller you are, the more it hurts. Probably yeah. the early you are in your business cycle, the more it hurts probably, which is, which is super unfortunate for those founders. Uh, I've linked up with a few other, uh, founders and I mean, there's a couple of them that the conversation ended with, with them almost in tears. Like I've been running this company for five years and I don't know what I'm going to do. Wow. You, you know, we're losing money every month. I mean, it's, it's really serious and it's, it's a really unfortunate thing. So yeah, I mean, I think everybody will be forced to adapt. Um, and by the way, you know, with iOS 15 coming out next month, Apple's trying to kill email as well, which is, which is typically, you know, 20 to 30% of a, of a good e-commerce company's revenue. So this is not just going to be a Facebook issue. Uh, there is an ongoing war you know, in uh, uh, war against privacy, but really, you know, kind of war against small business uh, that is going to continue to, I think, make the next foreseeable future pretty challenging for e-commerce companies. So, yeah, I mean, if, if people aren't getting scrappy and, and preserving cash and, and cutting expenses and, you know, really battening down the hatches and getting ready uh, to, to go to war, there's going to be some casualties out there. Do you happen to know if this is affecting the market for e-commerce businesses? Because the first quarter or two quarters of this year, e-commerce businesses were the were the hotness, um, and I feel like they still are. I mean, yeah. you know, any, on MicroStrategy and Quiet Light and Empire Flippers, it's like a lot of e-commerce companies for sale at what appear to be growing multiples. They're ever like ever more expensive. Um, how to reconcile that with this this Facebook thing? Yeah, I mean, a uh, I think you know, acquisitions are always kind of a, a lagging, uh, indicator, uh, indicator yeah. right? Because, you know, if I'm, even if I'm acquiring, even if I'm like looking at a listing on quiet light right now, you know, I'm looking at their first quarter's earnings. I'm not yeah. really looking at their second quarter earnings, right? This all happened in June. So if a, if a potential acquirer is like super plugged into e-commerce and like already has a portfolio, they might know that there's some, some rocky waters ahead, but you know, just depending on your, your insider information or, you know, how, how close people are to those companies, um, you know, they, they may or may not have that knowledge. Um, so yeah, I mean, is now a really great time to be selling an e-commerce company? Yeah, probably. Um, but at the same time, again, you know, e-commerce means so many different things to so many different people, right? I mean, there are e-commerce companies built solely on a, on an organic acquisition strategy. Yeah those will I'm sure continue to be strong and, and, and actually maybe actually, you know, the, the values and multiples for those increase significantly. Um, yeah. yeah. I would expect to see, uh, some, you know, some softening of the market for companies that primarily rely on Facebook as a, as a, 
uh, acquisition channel, yeah. you know, but like Amazon, Amazon's still going strong, right? So if you've got a strong Amazon presence or, or, a, or a, a purely FBA type company, I'm sure those continue to crush. If not, go for even a higher multiple because the, the Shopify, Facebook, you know, route is getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I imagine this is going to, this whole thing is going to be not unlike COVID was for main street businesses. It's like, if you survived COVID, if a main street business survived COVID, you've demonstrated what a robust business you have or that you are. And the same thing is kind of happening. Shakeout is happening now with e-commerce businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's right. And, and, you know, I will say that even in our own business, uh, we've, we've seen, I mean, you know, Facebook's not stupid, right? They, they hire the best and the brightest, and they're not just going to sit back and let Apple kill their business. So, you know, they're rapidly working on solutions. We've seen, uh, our ad performance start to get better in the last few weeks. So, you know, I'm sure they are very hard at work trying to come up with solutions, uh, and, and, and figure this whole thing out. And, you know, A, it also depends on how good your, your Facebook uh, media buyer is. I mean, we've tested out a ton of different strategies and, and iterated and, and found some, and, and again, you know, this is this forced iteration. Uh, Oh, your Facebook ads tank. Good. Now you've got to go out and find some new, new strategies that maybe are going to work. So thank you, Jocko. um, Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, it's, it's, you know, we, we've had to go do that and our Facebook ads are better than they were on June 1st. Yeah. So, uh, it's, you know, time will tell how everybody adapts, but uh, it's certainly probably been painful for a lot of people. Well, this is this is also just points out like why why the asset that you acquired, brute force those those assets that you described first, like the brand loyalty, the the, enthusi- the product enthusiasm, the community passion, the email list. Um, you know, all was that much more valuable because those are things that don't have to, aren't just like spot buys on Facebook. Those are a committed customer base. Yeah. And, and I will absolutely say that email saved this company through the, the, you know, Facebook downturn, if, if, if that's what you want to call it. I mean, yeah. uh, we, we were just standing up our, our new email company or our, our email program, uh, we use an amazing agency uh, called Longplay. I got to give them a shout out because they've been just absolutely amazing. And, Longplay. And Longplay, I guess, Shane and her team have really uh, just done an incredible job. And we are getting amazing feedback uh, from our, our email list about like, hey, we really like what you guys have done here. Uh, you know, really, uh, you know, not just trying to sell, 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 really putting out content that our customers really like and really use and is really valuable to them, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, has really helped, you know, bolster the company. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Great. And just to wrap up circling back to just, uh, um, acquisition entrepreneurship generally, did you look at any offline businesses or were you, did you want to do something digital? And I ask because, well, because I know the audience is interested in all, all manner of businesses, but also because your previous big success was in a decidedly not digital space. Right. So uh, what, what are your, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, once again, where I, I started, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I told Walker on day one of the cohort was I want to buy uh, unsexy local businesses like car washes and, and right. storage units and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, 
I, I think there's there's amazing opportunities there. You know, my thought was if if there was a a car wash or storage unit or anything else that had never used uh, paid search or paid social, that we could we could grow the company that way. Right. Um, and and looked at a few of them. Uh, you know, and, and I still think those are there's are amazing assets, and I think there's a ton of opportunity. You know, taking unsexy businesses and and kind of just just dipping the toe in digital with with paid search and paid uh, paid social as a as a acquisition channel for those businesses. Yeah. Everything that I found, a you have to be you have to be more local for that, right? Yep. Like like the, the beautiful thing about e-commerce is I can be located anywhere. This happened to be a local business, which was really cool, but um, didn't have to be. You know, so I I went and we we looked at some car washes and uh, some storage. The multiples on those are pretty high. The risk is pretty low. Uh, you know, those those things typically churn like clock, clockwork. Um, but you know, I couldn't find one that fit my um, my threshold for for purchasing. And they all they all just wanted too high of of multiples at that point. And you know, again, I think that there's there's a ton of opportunity there, and, and finding the right deal is super important. But uh, I didn't find anything that I liked. Well, Mike, before I let you go, I want to just plug your your podcast, episode 31 of My First Million, um, where it's an interview with you and your whole story of your previous success. That is such a great story um, and a great interview. I just want people to... Uh, and we didn't talk much about your history. We just talked about that you'd had this success, but what it was exactly, essentially, you acquired land and um, and little parcels to sell larger parcels to energy companies. Um, right. but, Crudely, um, there was a little bit more to it than that, I suspect. But anyway, I encourage people to go check that out. Episode thirty-one of My First Million um, to hear Mike's previous life—an awesome story. But thank you for doing this, sir. This was a, a really great conversation, and um, yeah, let's have you back on in the not too distant future to hear how it's going. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, we we really covered a lot here. That was a that was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, it's, it's, you know, for anybody that's, that's acquisition curious, like I was, I, I really think it's a, it's a great avenue, uh, a to leverage capital B to, to bet on yourself. And, and, um, you know, I, I just, I highly recommend it. And, and I've got to plug Walker, uh, Dybul and his book by then build, um, yep. and, and his courses, just, uh, a really great primer for what you can expect. And, uh, so, you know, uh, thanks Walker for, for uh, helping me get here. And, and do you know if his recent, like his, the latest iteration of his course is the same as what you took? I assume it's uh, evolving every, cause it's pretty, a pretty young course. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was, I was in it, uh, a, a year, a year plus. Um, but yeah, they're, they're evolving, uh, all the time. Uh, I'm, I've been screaming at him to charge more for, for a long time, because I, I think that, uh, he should be charging about three times what he is for the value that he's putting out. So, mm -hmm. Uh, it's getting better all the time. And, and yeah, so, uh, it's, uh, yeah, very solid. Uh, and it's a live, it's a, like a live kind of cohort based course. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, cool. and, and half the value comes from the other people looking at businesses. They, they yeah. have a, they have a deal forum where you go on and go, Hey, kind of rip me apart here. And here's what I'm looking at. And, and all of the other people that are searching for businesses kind of look at your deal. That's super valuable, right? You just get a ton of perspective. Uh, so you know, if for anything, that's, that's a great reason. And I'll just say like, you said it offline, but I didn't, I didn't bring you back to say it before, but I think one of the other things that people can do to learn is you just got to look at a lot of deals. So get on, you know, 
biz by sell uh, or whatever whatever platform of choice and just request sims and and prospectuses prospecti from all these for all these for sale businesses and just look at them dozens um, because that that's really you're going to learn quickly and you really probably want to do that before you pull the trigger uh, on yep. something so recommended cool mike thank you for your time this was awesome all right thanks will